This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is Messianism and Messianics. These are Jewish people who have believed in Jesus. And my guest is Vladimir Pickman, who uh, is the rabbi, that's the correct title, at uh, Beit Sar Shalom, which is a Messianic synagogue in Berlin, Germany. Yep. So we appreciate you coming in, Vladi, and, and having this discussion with us about, about Messianic Jews. We're glad to have you here. And what are you doing in Dallas? I mean, uh, Berlin is – you're not exactly in the neighborhood. So how did you end up in Dallas? Well, this year is a very special year for us because we decided – or just God let us uh, to have a sabbatical here in Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, what was – originally an idea to do just a research and for me to finish my doctoral dissertation turned out to be a very busy season here at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, being like a scholar or missionary in residence with the seminary, uh, visiting professor this last spring semester, and also uh, I got involved in teaching Christians mm -hmm. how to reach out to their Jewish friends, uh, as well as starting a couple of different outreaches uh, to the Jewish people. Okay, well, we'll be talking about those uh, down the road. Let's let's hear a little bit about your story now. Listening to your accent, I know you're not from Texas, so uh, um, so uh, tell us a little bit about your background and and uh, and how did you end up? You ended up in Germany, but that isn't where you started. That's very true. I was born and raised in Kiev, capital of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was the former Soviet Union. I feel ancient, actually. Mm -hmm. However, uh, I grew up in a liberal Jewish home. Mm -hmm. uh, in our family, we maintained Jewish identity, but we didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. So most, not most, but part of my life, I was a Jewish atheist. Uh, but uh, experiencing much of anti-Semitism in the former Soviet Union, I left the country as soon as the Soviet Union began to collapse, I moved to Israel mm -hmm. to be around other Jewish people and to be free of anti-Semitism around me. In Israel, through a very, I would say, supernatural encounter with God at the Wailing Wall, I believe that God is real. Mm -hmm. And it happened just almost like literally by touching mm -hmm. the Wailing Wall in old city of Jerusalem, it was like electricity struck, so mm. God is real, suddenly I knew that. A uh, couple months later, I uh, I had my chance to use the wailing wall to ask uh, God, the God of Israel about his guidance for my life, putting there a note with my question to God, so I, uh, yeah, it was pretty uh, Challenging, <laughs> uh, challenging thing for me because I even promised uh, God in this note that I will never complain about His guidance. It was foolish, uh, probably, and can understand. Mm -hmm. Then very next day He sent me back to Ukraine. I was complaining like crazy. <laughs> I came back uh, to Ukraine. Uh, 
as I thought, just to finish my studies at the university there. At that time, uh, I was uh, finishing my Master of Science in Mathematics. But I met my old Jewish friend who, meanwhile, became a believer in Jesus. Mm. And he started talking to me about uh, believing in Jesus, about the fact that I'm a sinner, that I need Jesus, and otherwise I'm going to burn in hell. Mm. You know, uh, I didn't like any of the, uh, of these things, mm -hmm. uh, especially it was uh, strange for me that he, as a Jew, believes in Jesus, because for me, uh, it was just Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Jewish people don't believe in Jesus, period. Mm -hmm. No explanations I needed, at least at that time. It was clear. Uh, at the same time, I was, uh, I was getting jealous, uh, observing my friend, having things that I was missing in my life. He was sort of peaceful, loving, forgiving, confident. Uh, and he was uh, claiming that when he's praying to, uh, to Jesus, his prayers are respond, re reacted, responded by God. So even uh, in my life, as I had some challenges, I was going to my uh, Jewish Christian friend, mm -hmm. uh, asking him to pray uh, for me to Jesus, to his Jesus, mm -hmm. for his Jesus to help me. So substitutionary prayer. Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know this terminology at that time, though. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I took the Bible uh, and tried to consider, uh, or go through the Old Testament, trying to find passages uh, telling that Jesus could not be the Messiah, mm -hmm. uh, just like a competition with my friend. Uh, it took a year for me to fail. Mm -hmm. um, in the Old Testament, I saw enough evidences for me to consider Jesus as the Messiah, but as I decided to pray, try to pray in Jesus' name for the first time, I, I prayed 30 seconds after this prayer again, saying, Father, if Jesus is not the Messiah, please forgive me, I made a mistake, because uh, I was afraid of doing something wrong. Hmm. At that time, I consider that in the whole world, there are only two Jewish men who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, my crazy friend and I. Uh, and it took three more months for God to put me in a situation where I needed him badly. For the first time in my life, felt not like a Jewish angel, but a Jewish sinner. Mm -hmm. uh, knew, uh, knew the way to get rid of this sin, needed it very badly, um, prayed. My life got changed. Hmm. And uh, God changed so powerfully that I couldn't keep it just for myself. Uh, immediately the same day, I was already sharing this good news with everybody at work, on the streets. I joined a Messianic congregation in Kiev, then joined the ministry called Chosen People Ministries. Uh, at that time, clearly U.S.-based mm -hmm. uh, mission, international mission organization. Became a minister first in Ukraine, planting congregations there in 1995. To my surprise, uh, God called my wife and me to go to Germany to start a pioneering outreach among Jewish people there. So that's the So you've been in version. Germany how long? Uh, we moved there in 1995. So 20 years. 20 years total, but minus uh, four years in between, like 2002 to, uh, through 2006, we spent here at Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. Both of us, my wife and I, graduated from DTS 2006. We moved back uh, to Germany. Uh, so I would say it's 20 minus 
four and a half years. Okay, all right. Now, let me let me. Um, there's one part of your background I want to kind of ask about because it's something that's important for people to get about about Jewish people. You said you grew up in a liberal home. You were an atheist, so you were Jewish in ethnicity and identity, but not really religious. Is that would that be a fair summary, or how would you how do you put that together? Most people think they aren't aware of the differences in Judaism, say between Orthodox, uh, conservative, Reformed, and then you know secular. Just to simplify this, you mean at that time? Yeah, at that time. At that time, well, I was clearly Jewish uh, ethnically. Mm-hmm. And my identity was Jewish. And it was probably what we consider to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Religion uh, was not an issue in the former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. but the ethnicity. Actually, biblically and historically, uh, I would say it's very important component. So mm-hmm. the ethnicity of belonging to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I would say biologically, so mm-hmm. like descendant of Abraham, Isaac, mm-hmm. and Jacob, that what determines uh, of Jewishness. I mean, religion is attached, to, worldview is attached usually to particular ethnos, but uh, even if, uh, if we remember, if we remind ourselves of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. um, being Jewish for Nazis meant not what you believe in mm-hmm. and whether you believe in anything, mm-hmm. but more of your origin, mm-hmm. your descendants uh, from particular So people. when you say your identity is Jewish and, and you had an ethnic, uh, an ethnic identity and you had this attachment to Abraham, nothing else came with it other than that attachment. So you weren't thinking about living in a, a keeping kosher or anything like that, or did you do some of that as in your home? Uh, no, not really. It was not an issue, and to be honest, mm-hmm. it's not an issue for probably more than half of the Jewish population uh, in the world uh, this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, like keeping kosher and observing right. the law. It's not the main marker of a Jewish identity mm-hmm. even today, worldwide, even including probably Israel to some extent. Uh, but uh, for us, being Jewish and Jewish identity meant primarily sort of like our destiny. Mm-hmm. So it's like we were destined to be Jewish. We were considered Jewish by the people around us, and we were considered we were considering us as the Jewish people. You saw yourselves as Jewish. Absolutely. Not, we saw ourselves this way, and the people around us saw us this way, uh, whether we were willing there was no escape. or not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also it was like, being Jewish, it means to belong to certain people, and it's something what you cannot get out of, so to speak. Okay. I think that's important because some people think about Jew- being Jewish as being committed to Judaism and to the practices of Judaism, and those two things don't necessarily go together. Uh, as you say, there are many people who are ethnically Jewish but religiously secular. And in that way, it's, it's like the joke we, you often hear in Israel about the difference between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Hmm. Um, you know, Jerusalem's the place where all the religious activity takes place, and Tel Aviv is a very secular kind of city, the same kind of distinction. Exactly. And so there's a range of uh, – this is part of what makes sharing with Jewish people and, and drawing them into Messianism interesting because just because you meet someone and they say they're a Jew doesn't mean that they're all in the same place. Not two Jews, three opinions. Yes, exactly right. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about messianism. Uh, and you are, uh, and I've used this title uh, appropriately. You are a rabbi in a mm -hmm. synagogue. It meets on the Sabbath, which would be a Saturday. Let's talk about uh, um, how messianics view the synagogue, what it's there for, and also uh, what happens in, in on a Sabbath service. Uh, you, you mean now messianic? Yes, exactly, messianic congregation. Well, uh, there are different types of Messianic congregations. Yes. Uh, if there are three opinions for three Jews, there are five opinions for two Messianics. <laughs> uh, there are, the fact is, every Messianic congregation is different. Mm -hmm. So right now, I can speak just on behalf of the congregation we have in okay, Berlin. Okay, that's fine. Our congregation in, uh, in Berlin is uh, looks First part, uh, first part of uh, the service at our synagogue on Shabbat looks very like in a normal conservative or orthodox synagogue. Mm -hmm. So we have one hour liturgical service uh, with uh, the Torah service, carrying the Torah, reading from the Torah. And then uh, the second part of the service is more contemporary. Mm -hmm. So uh, not liturgical songs, but more like worship uh, songs, mm -hmm. more contemporary mm -hmm. type of worship. And then the third part of the service is uh, teaching and uh, prayer. Um, again, for some Jewish people, liturgical part is important. Mm -hmm. So they come to the liturgical part. Mm -hmm. Some Jewish people, they don't care too much about it. Uh -huh. They come later. Uh -huh. And some people, they don't care, they, well, let me rephrase, they care primarily about the teaching. Uh -huh. So they come even later. So people come in and out of the service. It's yes. not, you aren't there the mm -hmm. whole time necessarily. Yes, but uh, in most synagogues, at least in Europe, uh -huh. It has always been the case. So you can come, you can go. Uh -huh. It's not like the doors are locked. Mm -hmm. uh, and you read through the Pentateuch in the Torah section, and uh, do you are you on an annual or a three-year cycle? How often do you get through the Pentateuch when you're reading in it? We uh, we go on an annual uh, cycle. Okay, that is most appropriate. Okay, and um, and then is there uh, the, the in many synagogues there's what's called the Torah reading, and then there's the reading that goes with it. Um, do you have that as well, or do you just read in the Torah alone? Well, our service altogether takes about three hours. Yes, I've been there. It, it is a, it is exactly. a, a full service. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's okay for three hours. People can take it. But uh -huh. if we will read all, uh -huh. it will probably four, five hours. Uh -huh. uh, that's why we study that during the week. Mm -hmm. And we read just some parts a of portion. it, uh, a portion, uh, during the Shabbat service. But is there just a Torah reading, or is there another reading that comes with it as well? Well, usually it's the Torah uh, reading mm -hmm. as the core, because mm -hmm. in Jewish mind, uh, the Torah rep represents the entire mm -hmm. scripture. Mm -hmm. So we read something from the core, from mm -hmm. the Torah. and. Uh, during the teaching time mm -hmm. and worship time and liturgy, uh, liturgy time, there are passages from 
other parts of the scripture, including the New Testament. Okay, so then that's part of what makes this a messianic synagogue is the fact that the New Testament is also a part of the worship service and a part of the teaching and a part of the biblical uh, reflection that goes on in the community. So obviously teaching and prayer are an important part of what happens in the synagogue uh, on Shabbat. Um, what other reasons uh, are there for a messianic synagogue in, in your thinking? God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Well, there is there is a whole list okay, that's of, fine. different, of different yeah. uh, reasons for the Masonic congregations to be important. Uh, usually, we think of missiological reason as the first. Mm -hmm. Missiological reason, I mean, like for the Jewish people to come and to experience the service that is uh, while being Yeshua, Jesus-centered, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. at the same time is like home mm -hmm. for the Jewish people, culturally, traditionally, liturgically, and so in that sense, it's not very different from, say, going to a Korean church or an African-American church. There's a, there, If I can use a picture, there's a flavor to the way the worship is done and a set of expectations, and people are comfortable because they were raised in that context to experience right. that kind of worship. Right. But that's, uh, that's one reason. Mm -hmm. This reason uh, – I would not consider as the major one because there are many Jewish people I know mm -hmm. who are at home in different churches mm -hmm. of different denominations mm -hmm. and confessions. So uh, if Jewish people consider Jesus, a belief in Jesus, mm -hmm. they can naturally go to a church. Mm -hmm. And I know many mm -hmm. uh, such Jewish people. So Messianic congregation is not unique and not only or exclusive, but a missiological uh, way to reach out to the Jewish people. It's and, one reason. And do you know a lot of people who, uh, who will attend a Messianic congregation on Shabbat, but then uh, also associate with the church on a Sunday, or is that un unusual? Well, it's uh, – there are cases like this, mm -hmm. but uh, – that's not what I would consider as a, as a good way mm -hmm. of doing, uh, doing things, because it's good for somebody to be a member like one body, <laughs> <laughs> just and be involved and minister in some place. Mm -hmm. But let me talk about some other reason okay. for Messianic congregation that I consider more important okay. for some reasons. I see uh, much of ecclesiological reason mm -hmm. in the Messianic congregation because it's a visible expression of Jewish segment of the body of the Messiah, body of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the unity between Jews and Gentiles, that is the core unity of, uh, of the church or the body of uh, Christ, according to the Bible, in my understanding, uh, has to be visible. Mm -hmm. Uh, because by visible, uh, by in its visibility, this unity demonstrates the way the Messiah is, uh, and the way uh, God actually functions together with His Messiah. So you're as thinking one. of passages like Ephesians two and three that talk about the Jew and the Gentile together. In yes, the body. And exactly. And I think of passages like uh, John chapter seventeen, where uh, mm -hmm. as Jesus uh, praying about uh, uh, His disciples being one, mm -hmm. uh, for the world to see that Father and Son mm -hmm. are one. Uh, so uh, it's uh, for me it's very important, uh, and, I, and I see that in the Bible for the Jewish segment, the Jewish component mm -hmm. of the body of, uh, of the Messiah to be visible. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the church in general, I think, should, be, should appreciate the Messianic movement, even small, challenging, weak, still mm -hmm. uh, not, not, maybe even not united, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a very important visible part of the oneness between Jews and Gentiles. And there is another uh, reason uh, that I, uh, I think very important as well. God has never forsaken or uh, cast away Jewish people as his people, mm -hmm. as his chosen people. So God is still uh, faithful to his promises and covenants with the Jewish people. And the and Messianic movement, Messianic congregations, they are called, I believe, to be like a demonstration of the covenantal fidelity of the God of Israel and the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, the last two mentioned reasons are even more important. So, uh, and that means that people who are members of Messianic community really represent, in a, in the very technical sense of the term, the not just the faithfulness of God, but the existence of a remnant that exists in any period of time, as God's plan is uh, is moving forward. Right. Exactly. Besides. There is another reason mm -hmm. uh, that can be debated to some extent uh -huh. in different denominations, mm -hmm. but I do believe that uh, it is also a reason, eschatological reason. Mm -hmm. So emerging of the Messianic movement mm -hmm. is also a step in preparation for the Messiah to come back, mm -hmm. because uh, it start, uh, the church or the body of the Messiah, mm -hmm. the, what we know as today, mm -hmm. uh, according to the book of Acts, started with the Messianic movement, quote, quote, as it was in back X2, then, Pentecost. and Acts 2, exactly. Uh, and uh, we are coming to, uh, to a very exciting times, actually, mm -hmm. now, uh, because we see the emergence of the State of Israel, but also, mm -hmm. and I would consider that not less important, uh, the emergence of the uh, Messianic uh, movement. So, uh, so that, that kind of summarizes the existence of Messianic communities. Let's talk a little bit about Messianism as you're aware of it in Israel, because one of the things that's happening is, is that the Messianic movement is uh, is growing in Israel. There's been, um, in, to some degree, in, uh, almost unprecedented growth. Um, so uh, if we had your colleague, Michael Zinn, here, he could talk about this directly. That is the the ministry that he is responsible for in Israel, uh, but uh, talk a little bit about about what you're aware of in terms of the influence of messianic presence in Israel. Well, the Messi uh, 
the Messianic community or the, the number of Jewish believers in Yeshua and Jesus is growing in Israel rapidly in mm -hmm. the last uh, couple of years. And uh, many of those who are involved in ministering there, uh, talking even about revival mm -hmm. among native Israelis or those who were born there, so-called mm -hmm. Sabras. So it's growing uh, rapidly. Uh, it's uh, it's probably not growing like in Acts chapter two or three <laughs> and four, but uh, it is a dramatic growth because uh, over last few years it's it was like almost like doubling the mm -hmm. number of believers were doubling almost on an annual basis. So mm -hmm. it's very very significant uh, significant, and Israelis are getting more uh, and more open to believe in uh, Yeshua. And it's actually the tendency probably worldwide among uh, Jewish people. Uh, Jesus is becoming more sympathetic to the Jewish people. So mm -hmm. they they learn to appreciate him. Mm -hmm. And you're aware of a number of different Jewish scholars mm -hmm. uh, or like uh, academically uh, secular mm -hmm. uh, through very orthodox mm -hmm. writing books about Jewish Jesus. Mm -hmm and uh, emphasizing his Jewishness, so telling something with other words like, he's a Jewish guy, uh, he's, he's a good guy, he's mm -hmm. one of us. Mm -hmm. Well, for the Gentiles, but one of us, <laughs> yeah. sort of. Yeah. So there is a growing openness to, uh, to think of uh, Jesus, probably because the church is getting more open uh, to the Jewish people and probably because church is not, uh, I mean, the church in general is not so pushy on Jewish people. So when we, when we think about this, uh, uh, the original influx of influence uh, of response to Messianism in Israel was also associated to some degree with, with the immigration patterns into the nation. Uh, I think it's. I think I've heard this right, that that many many uh, Russian Jews who came to Israel have ended up coming into uh, the Messianic movement. But what you're what I what I think I'm also hearing you say is that uh, more recently, um, it, it although the immigration element is a part of this, it's not the only part of what's going on now. Is in Israel. Right? Yeah, in Israel. Oh, yes. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the Messianic movement, uh, the number of Jewish believers in Jesus, uh, was significantly growing in Israel in 1990s due to the Russian Jewish immigration mm -hmm. and due to the revival among Russian uh, Jews uh, worldwide, mm -hmm. including Israel. But uh, at, in, this, uh, in this season, uh, we see more and more Israeli-born Jewish people. Now, you used the technical uh, term, Sabra. Most Sabra, people yeah. won't know what that is. Exactly. That's why I'm trying yeah, to yeah, use yeah, yeah. explanation rather yeah. than the term. Yeah. So Sabra is a native-born Israelite, exactly. basically. Yeah. And, and so and so even even they are becoming open and in dealing with. In fact, it, one of the interesting things about Israel is the mix that you get. We started off talking about the mix of Jews that you experience from Orthodox to conservative to Reformed to secular, and anyone who's been to Israel will know that. The, that you get that whole range uh, in the nation itself. Um, is there any sense of where, out of those backgrounds, the Messianic movement is having its draw? Is, is, it, is it more attractive to some on that spectrum versus others? I mean, are we talking about you know, more secular Jews 
becoming interested in Jesus? Are we talking about more orthodox Jews becoming interested in Jesus? Where is it coming from? Do you know? Well, uh, primarily uh, the interest uh, is the the biggest among Reformed Jew, mm-hmm. Jewish or secular Jewish people, mm-hmm. uh, particular, uh, particularly because they are not part of a very close-knit community. Mm-hmm. Like with Orthodox, uh, mm-hmm. the issue uh, with the Orthodox uh, Jewish people, the issue is not that they uh, that they just uh, with their knowledge, with their understanding, consciously reject uh, Jesus. They even don't consider Jesus because uh, they are part of a very close-knit community. They even cannot do that. Mm -hmm. They cannot uh, consider that Mm -hmm. because in their very close environment, it's not – it's no goal. It's not permitted. No, not yeah. permitted at all. So yeah. it's very, uh, it's very complicated uh, for them culturally and community-wise. Uh, mm-hmm. For liberal, secular, uh, reform Jewish people, they are m- more open-minded, uh, and they are more individualistic in mm-hmm. sense they, they have more like freedom embedded mm-hmm. in them to think for themselves mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides. Uh, in United, take uh, United States as an example. You have here probably 14% of Orthodox Jews uh, among the Jewish population mm-hmm. in the United States. So the Orthodox Jews are not the majority in the Jewish world today anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't even thought about what the percentage of Jewish population is here in the United States, but it's probably not, what, 1, 2, 3%? Do you know? Uh, 300 million people? Uh, 3 million? No, it's, uh, I think it's like uh, six, six, around 6, six million. Per- okay. Uh, so a couple, 2%, basically. Yeah, some, uh, 1.9 to be precise. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that mathematics background's coming out. Um, uh, I, I'm, I've got two sets of questions that I want to go on. I'm not sure. Let me let me go back and deal with one thing about the synagogue that I don't think we covered that I think is important, and that's suggested by the reasons for a messianic synagogue that you raised, but that I think is an important part to appreciate about Jewish culture at large, um, as seen in the synagogue, and that is the importance of community. Um, uh, particularly because and, – and, and the reason it segues from the number of 2 percent is because as a minority community, the issue of community is actually pretty important to Jewish people. And the thing that, that I've told people about my experience uh, in relationship to Messianic congregations is, is that the, the Jewish appreciation for community and how it ought to function is a very important value. Um, uh, even among even among ethnic Jews, you don't have to be religious to have this dimension. It's an important part of, of Jewish life. Um, so one of the functions of, of a synagogue, and you suggested this by talking about you know needing a place where they feel at home to worship, etc., mm-hmm. is this sense of community that you get out of your participation in the synagogue. Uh, it, it's a central um, gathering place and reference place for life for a lot of Jewish people. Yes, you're uh, you're absolutely correct, uh, and it's also important for like postmodern secular Jewish uh, people uh, who don't have any community at all. Mm-hmm. 
and still it's probably like embedded feeling in all of us and particularly in Jewish people mm-hmm. uh, to be people of the community. Mm-hmm. So uh, community is, uh, is a very important part of a Messianic congregation. And usually the Messianic congregation that I know worldwide, we are very big on community. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, after services, we have something to keep people together uh-huh. and let people uh, stay together longer. Like at our con- uh, synagogue or congregation in Berlin, um, our doors are open like 9.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and we close the doors like 8 in the evening. Yeah. Uh, the service three hours, the lunches uh, together afterwards, there is afternoon program, there is fellowship <laughs> afterwards. So many people stay uh, in the community whole day. Mm-hmm. And uh, not because they have to, but because they enjoy it. So the Shabbat is not only a day of rest, it's a day of community. Well, in Jewish in Jewish mindset, uh, Shabbat is the day of community Com- yeah. and community with God and with each other. Right. So it's like holy convocation. It's in <laughs> gathering together with God in the midst. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Join us next week for part two. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu/thetable. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.